It was May of 1862 and the U.S. Civil War was raging on. In the Confederate stronghold of Charleston, South Carolina, a 23-year-old slave was about to lead a daring escape to freedom that would make him an instant hero in the northern states. But his incredible and exciting story didn't begin, nor did it end there. The fact you've probably never heard of him is a damn shame, and that's why we are here for you, faithful listener. Grab a drink and settle in for this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Robert Smalls. Ain't nothing smalls about these balls. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Did you get it, Chris? Smalls and Balls? I did get it. Because we're talking about Robert Smalls. Yeah, he's an American hero that nobody knows. It's pretty cool. Something that bothered me. There's a guy on YouTube. He mm-hmm. likes to talk about history or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had a little short thing on Robert Smalls, and I decided to watch it this morning just to get a little, you know, kind of pumped for the episode as I, I was to actually research the topic. We're yes, I started about. researching <laughs> this morning. But uh, you know, just to see different YouTube things because you know we we read the book and all that. But as you know, I like to go into YouTube and just see what other people have to say about it. Yeah, or what they gleaned from the story. I do the same thing to steal jokes. But very good. nice. Yeah. Good but so I was watching this guy and he was like, uh, I guess Black Panther had just come out in theaters. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, it's a shame they made a, a superhero about this guy when we have a real superhero in Robert Smalls. And I'm just like, no, that's yeah. not what superhero is. No. And it goes on to say all the things he did. And he's like, name me a superhero that's done that. And I'm like, uh, I mean, there's superheroes that have stopped the world from ending, the universe from mm-hmm. ending. I get it. This is a hero. Yeah. Not a superhero. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> I wanted to get it off my chest. I, I do. It's I, been boiling inside I, of me. <laughs> yeah, fuck that YouTuber we won't name. <laughs> uh, no, I, I get it. But uh, at the same time, don't diminish the guy we're, we're about to talk about. Just, I literally just called him a hero. I wanted, but he's not a super. And the story is interesting as fuck. It really is. And I'm guessing 99% of y'all haven't heard about it. No. Because I hadn't. I learned about this dude from a fucking meme, and then I looked into it, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is really, this is a really fucking interesting story. How, how have we never heard of this guy? And I learned about it from you, so I'm like secondhand meme Awesome. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I am Chris, one of your hosts, and there's... I'm your other host, Greg. Yep. Main host. Uh, with us, as always, is Dan, the intro guy, and Wolf Dick, our steadfast invalid producer. Steadfast and invalid for some reason just don't seem like they go together. Well, you know, steadfast means you don't fucking move like you're like you are unshaken or whatever. It's, it's not by choice though. <laughs> I feel like steadfast. You know, it's it's an adjective to describe somebody that is willfully doing something. Like and Wolf if he, Dick, just he can't move. Like if he was at Tiananmen Square in front of the tank, it wouldn't be as heroic because it's just non-voluntary. He can't get out of the way of that big fucking line of tanks. He's just, you know, he's just going to get squished. Yeah, oh yeah. He doesn't have his fucking hospice nurse to push him out of the way. You know, he's got the use of like two fingers Mm -hmm. and eyeball, which is his only eyeball, by the way. And It's not like the other one just doesn't. Well, I was getting to that. Discredit his horse-sized penis. Right. That just... Randomly gets erections. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, God. It's looking at me right now. That didn't take long. (laughs) No, it did not. Uh, Yeah. And so today we are getting into the story of Robert Smalls, our main source. Uh, This time is Be Free or Die, the amazing story of Robert Smalls' escape from slavery to Union Hero by Kate Lineberry. And my main source is apparently a 10-minute long (laughs) YouTube video this morning. That you hated. (laughs) Oh, I hated it. No, I didn't hate it. I just, I hated the, the superhero yeah part of it and again nothing mm-hmm. to take away from robert smalls but superhero means something supernatural okay. and this is a human being so. okay yeah you know what just regular hero okay okay i, I agree with you i'm not gonna go any further because fuck you chris <laughs> <laughs> all right uh greg what are you having a drink today i'm having jefferson's um it's a very nice blend of straight bourbon whiskey, very small batch, it says right here on the bottle. Mm-hmm. I'm having the variety called Ocean Aged at Sea. Basically, they take the whiskey barrels out uh, as they're maturing, as they're aging. Mm-hmm. Get them out to sea, much like they do with the Islay scotches 
They let that uh, that salty air mm-hmm. impart flavor. The way that I'm tying it into this story is because Robert Smalls was a very good uh, boatsman, if you will. And this has a picture of a boat on it. <laughs> okay. And also, it's aged at sea, and he lived a lot of his life on the water. He sure did. So You know what your tie-in's going to be way better than mine. Like, is it really? Mine is so tenuous. Well, like, they, they usually are, but, so but they're also good. It's the loosest Ooh. tie-in that you've heard on this podcast so far. I we should go back to like episode one where I wasn't tying in. I was just drinking things I didn't know anything about. <laughs> yes, yeah. and then since then you've become a fucking whiskey snob. Oh god, it's so bad. Like I was telling you on I I just recently took a flight and mm-hmm. and I always thought I wouldn't be one of those guys that drank on the plane because they're usually assholes. But uh, I'd had a long. Oh, I always drink on the plane. Well, point proven. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I am an asshole. So. Um, but no, I I decided okay, I've. It's time to break down, have a drink, and I had a uh, 7-Up with a Wild Turkey 101. It was a horrible combination. It's Hey, it's recommended on their menu, on this unnamed airline that won't sponsor us now. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> but <laughs> That's a horror. Was it good? Yeah. It was not good. No, okay. it was not good. And I blame the whiskey because I was like, ugh, this is beneath me. I need Islay Scotch and 7-Up. No, Wild Thank Turkey you. 101 is a great bang for your buck whiskey. Yeah, whatever. It's the whole... Mixing it with Seven Up thing, I I uh, I need an Islay Scotch and Seven Up, as gentlemen oh, drink. <laughs> Get out of my fucking studio immediately. Uh, no, but today I thanks for asking. Am having Angel's Envy, and I've turned that into an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. And you ready for my very very tenuous tie-in? And it's not the tie-in that I first thought of that. Well, this is an old fashioned story because that's you know I could say that about fucking anything in history. Mm-hmm. Angel's Envy is aged in port barrels, and boats sail out of ports, and Robert Small spent a lot of time on a boat. And there you go. Uh, Thank you. Wolf Dick, I need more applause than that. I need a fucking round of applause. God damn it. Yep. (laughs) This is costing me a lot of animal crackers to keep his motivation strong. We're giving him a reason to live, so... I'm proud of me today. I bet you are. You look proud of me. I am proud of me. Thank you for your service, by the way. (laughs) You're welcome. And guys, just a heads up. We previously said there wouldn't be a uh, Christmas episode. We had a change of heart. We wanted to to give you something good for the holidays. Three ghosts came to me in my sleep. They came on him in his sleep. Well, yes. He called me complaining, and I was like, oh, Tiffany. That was also a part of it. We're going to have an episode... On Christmas. It smelled like peppermint because they were Christmas ghosts. So when you're driving around between, you know, all your divorced parents and mm-hmm. then they're divorced. Yeah, you know, it, it takes a long uh, time. Uh, uh, yeah. You got like eight families. We understand. Yeah. Uh, you'll have something to listen to on the ride. Yeah. While you're driving, just have a nice bourbon. Listen to our show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't even pour a glass. Just take the bottle. Yeah. Fits right in between your legs, you know? It's Christmas. The cops will be fine with it. They no, understand. Totally. They all watch Christmas Carol. They understand keeping the spirit of Christmas in your heart. I agree. Well, you know what I say. What's that, Greg? Let's get into this fucking story. Let's fuck this dog, as I say. That's literally a quote from me, but <laughs> I agree. Robert Smalls was born in 1839 in Beaufort, South Carolina. He was a second-generation slave. His mother, Lydia Polite, was 43 and had been owned by the McKee family, who of course owned a cotton plantation, for her entire life. She was a house slave, and she was owned by Henry McKee, who was 10 years younger than her and whom she had actually helped raise. There are some that believe that Robert Smalls was the child of Henry McKee, mainly because of the way he looked after Robert when he was young, but it's possible that McKee was just more of a gentler racist than those who lived around him in his era. In one of these dumb shows, I gave a three-second editorial about how slavery was bad, but it really does need to be spelled out for some people. So I will now quote Robert Smalls, who described the world he grew up in, and uh, bear with me, guys, this is a little lengthy. Quote, I had no trouble with my owner, but I have seen a good deal in traveling around on the plantations. I have seen stocks in which the people are confined from 24 to 48 hours. In whipping, a man is tied up to a tree and gets a hundred lashes from a rawhide. Sometimes a man is taken to a blacksmith's shop and an iron of 60 pounds weight is fastened to his feet, so that when it is taken off, he cannot walk for days. I have heard of whipping a woman in the family way, that means pregnant, by making a hole in the ground for her stomach. 
My aunt was whipped so many a time until she is not the same skin she was born with. End quote. His quote doesn't even mention how the women were often raped by their masters or how marriages or family structures meant absolutely nothing and slaves were frequently ripped away from the families that they had built. In fact, Robert's mom Lydia was taken from the fields when she was nine and never saw her own mother again. And now, since I know this is super heavy stuff, Greg will make a joke. I like my coffee like I like my women. Ground up and in the freezer. I thank you for taking away from the dark, you know, the uh, the super negative space we were in just now. Well, you know, we like to to make the funnies when we do these, but uh, there's not a you can't a lot make, of jokes you, you can can't do, make a joke about do with that. So pregnant women being shoved into a hole in the ground, so you know you don't want to disrupt the belly while you're whipping the shit out of them. Yeah, I had to pivot. So yeah, I appreciate it. Well, like his mother, Robert was a house slave as a boy and got to play with the older children of Henry McKee. When he was 12, McKee sent Robert to Charleston to work. It was a beautiful city, but it was also a racist shithole full of slave markets. It is estimated that out of all the slaves that had been kidnapped and brought from Africa, 40% of them came through Charleston. Robert was sent to work for Eliza Ankrum, who was Henry McKee's sister-in-law. Shortly after he arrived, however, he was hired out, which basically meant he could go work for a business in the city and he'd earn some money but the vast majority of his pay would be paid directly to the Ankrum family. It's kind of like temporary work. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, you're going to earn 12 bucks an hour, but the temp agency's earning, you know, 20 bucks an hour. Except, you know... Except this is more like the temp agency's going to get 95%. And if you fuck up, they're going to whip you and beat you. And, yeah. You know. But basically the same thing. It's, you know, it's pretty much the same. Fuck capitalism. Continue. <laughs> Can I take a second? Can I take one second? Before we continue. You already did. Okay, good. We, you know, I think it was last episode, episode before, where we are just making jokes about communism. Like, seize the means of production and all that. Um, I spent this past weekend in an airport, and I I have converted to communism. I've, I'm just going to admit it, because I paid $5 for a fucking monster energy drink. Because they had me fucking captive, and the Hudson News knew it, so they could charge whatever the fuck they wanted. And capitalism has just lost its fucking way. So. <laughs> hey, man, you just got to vote with your dollar. Yeah, I guess so. I go to the other Hudson News and pay $5 for a fucking Monster Energy drink. Or you just have some foresight and bring a fucking Monster Energy drink with you. Unless it's over four ounces, Greg, because then it might be explosive Monster Energy drink. Oh, you're talking about in the... Yeah, tur- once you oh, get okay. past the security, man, oh, yeah, you are, you're fucked. you are fucked, and they know it, and they just bend you over. Yeah, let me just get out my hammer and sickle. so these slaves that were hired out had to wear diamond badges on them that were numbered and indicated what kind of job they were allowed to do this uh, enabled the racists to be able to separate the working slaves from the 3,000 or so freed slaves that called Charleston home some of which owned slaves themselves Robert's first job wearing his own metal badge was working as a waiter at the Planters Hotel welcome to the Planters Hotel our room rates are so low you'll think we're nuts Get it? Like the planner's peanut. Yeah, 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 yeah there we yeah. go. <laughs> you know, something else I was thinking of, not only would it suck to be a 12-year-old waiter, <laughs> but it would be shitty to have a 12-year-old waiter, you know? Like, could you imagine a little 12-year-old waiter just fucking, like, dabbing on you or, you know, doing the floss, you know, Fortnite <laughs> dance at your table, and you're just like, God damn it. I couldn't have just had yeah, an adult waiter. I know. It's like, I can tip this dude in, like, fucking... Uh, emojis, and he'd love it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, getting back to the story. Well, Robert didn't stay long at that job and soon moved on to working as a lamplighter for the city. Such an old-timey job. Oh, yeah. Uh, You see, his uh, gas lamps were all the rage, and, you know, of course, they needed somebody to light them each night and clean the soot out of them each morning. He did this for a few years and then moved on to working at the docks. He began by driving the horses that loaded and unloaded shipping vessels. His employer... A white man by the name of John Simmons came to value his work ethic and soon taught Robert how to make rope lines and sails, and then hired Robert to be a sailor. When Robert was 17, he finally got to see an R-rated movie without his parents. Nice. And he seized the opportunity by going to see RoboCop kill every motherfucker in Detroit. It's a great fucking movie. It's such a violent R-rated movie. The 80s were the best. They really were. Oh, yeah. Bitches, leave. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. He shoots a guy in the legs and your throws a move, grenade in there. Your move, creep. I actually have that t-shirt. 
Do you really? Yeah, the words make RoboCop's face. So I have a RoboCopper t-shirt, and it's got like the British. <laughs> That's little, nice. Little Bobby hat or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Still do. No, actually, when Robert was seventeen, he married Hannah Jones, an enslaved woman who was in her mid thirties. So nice. Good for you, Robert. Good going, Smalls. Now Robert was dedicated, but his reason for getting married was quote My idea was to have a wife to prevent me from running around. To have somebody to do for me and to keep me. And will you allow me to translate that, Chris? Absolutely, yes. All right. I needed someone to marry me so I'd stop trying to fuck everything that moved. And, coincidentally, that's exactly how I proposed to my wife. (laughs) I like it. I really do. I like the, I'm going to fuck somebody. Might as well be you. And he does the finger guns. She didn't like it. (laughs) But she didn't really, you know... Have a choice. Yeah, like, she, she needed that green card real bad. Well, she was on the streets, and <laughs> what else was she going to do, really? Yeah, you, know? you just you, you found another way to fuck over the homeless. You took one of their women yeah. out of their camps. <laughs> I'd like to apologize to Greg's wife, who listens to this podcast. I'm, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> you cook a real good hobo stew. Please don't stop now. <laughs> it's just mittens and hot water. <laughs> Well, don't forget the four loco that you panhandled for. <laughs> the steel reserve that yeah. you brothed in. Mm-hmm. Some good hobo <laughs> stew. Now, Hannah was owned by a man named Samuel Kingman, who had bought her and her three kids in 1846 for $850. Really taking his last name to heart, didn't he? He is. I am a king man. <laughs> Slaves couldn't legally get married, but owners could grant permission for an unofficial service, and a lot of the times they were okay with doing so because it made their slaves happy, and if those slaves had kids, the owners got their brand new baby slaves. Henry McKee had no problem with him getting married and gave his blessing. Samuel Kingman was cool with it too, once Robert and Hannah agreed to pay him $5 a month. The two were wed on Christmas Eve in 1856. An interesting side note here, Chris, it's uh, Christmas was pretty often when slaves would get married because their masters weren't working them to death as usual, Mm -hmm. because they're often out of town or too full of, you know, fruitcake and eggnog like the rest of us to give a shit about what the slaves were doing. And I said it kind of as a joke, but totally not a joke. No, and actually that was uh, Harriet Tubman's, like, busiest time of the year, like getting people out of the South on the Underground Railroad was during Christmas because it was just easier. They weren't paying as much attention. Right. Two years after they got married, Hannah gave birth to a daughter, Elizabeth Lydia Smalls. Robert was terrified that his wife and daughter would be taken away from him on a drunken racist whim, and so he asked Kingman to allow him to purchase them. Kingman said, yeah, okay, $800 ought to do the trick, and of course you, Robert, will still be Henry McKee's property. So, it's like half of a win. Henry McKee did let Robert keep a portion of his earnings each month, but saving $800 was basically an impossibility and a massive fuck you, Robert, from Sam Kingman. On December 20th, 1860, South Carolina became the first state to secede from the United States over the issue of slavery. Yeah, and you know what? I'd like to officially offer any of our listeners, anybody else, I'd like to offer to throat punch you IRL if you tell me this is this whole war and the secession was about states' rights. <laughs> yeah. So fucking stupid. I hate that fucking argument. That's Literally what, the main point of the Articles of Confederacy. Yeah, and you know what? I have the shower argument. You know, the one where you always win. And I have that with the guys. Because you never meet these guys who actually tell you in person it was about states' rights. They all do it behind anonymous names on the internet or, you know. Or they're fucking morons and you never actually talk to them in person because you know they're a fucking moron. But I do always have that argument about how, oh yeah, states' rights to do what, you dumb motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) So when South Carolina seceded from the Union... Union Major Robert Anderson pulled all of his men and their families from Fort Moultrie to the stronger position of Fort Sumter, both of which were just outside of Charleston. In January of 61, the fort began to run low on supplies. President James Buchanan attempted to send supplies to the fort by sea, but the supply ship came under artillery fire and had to flee. In March, Abraham Lincoln became president and said he would send provisions to the fort, this time with a military escort. Well, that pissed the Confederates off, and so they said fuck it and opened fire on Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861, officially kicking off the U.S. Civil War. And yet these dumb southern fucking hicks would continue to say that this is a war of northern aggression. True that. Fucking morons. 
And just as a side note, we're not calling current people from the South. Oh Hicks. no, no. Th- this is then, yeah, eighteen sixty-one, fifty years yeah, ago, yeah, in the Civil War. Yeah, we're from Texas, so yeah, we're definitely Hicks. Probably, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I have had sex with a goat. Okay, fine. I've had sex with a sister. Oh, see, it was Chris's sister, but still, it's still the same. A sister. What's up, Corey? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> So a couple months before that, in February of 1861, Hannah gave birth to another child, this time a son named Robert Smalls Jr. Mm-hmm. Of course, Robert hadn't earned enough to come even close to paying for the freedom of Hannah and Elizabeth, and now he had another mouth to pay for. But with the war came a need for ships and men who knew how to operate them. In June, Robert Smalls went to work as a deckhand on the planter, a 147-foot steam-powered ship. This job paid $16 a month, and after McKee and Kingman took their cutaway, Robert got to keep an astounding $1 a month. Okay, I'm going to bust out my iPhone calculator here and do some quick math. Okay, $800 to buy his family freedom at $1 a month would take... 800 months, right? Shh, hold on, I'm hitting the, the equal button. Okay. 800 months, oh my God. Are you, <laughs> no, that, that can't be fucking right. That's like fucking 67 years. That can't be accurate, is yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, a month later, the Union wasn't quite ready to emancipate the slaves, but they declared that any slave that escaped to the North or that they captured in the battle would be considered captured contraband and would not have to be returned to the Confederate States. This would be widely reported in the South, and would be important in the decision-making process for Robert Smalls. It's so fucked up. Like, I understand. Like, at this point, they're still worried about upsetting the border states. Yeah, they because they were undecided states. Yeah, and I get it. But at the same time, like, he's excited because he's found out that he's considered property, mm-hmm. and he could be seized as the spoils of war at this point. Right. Captured contraband. Yeah. Not a human. Not a person. He's basically the same as a bale of hay. At this point. Better than a slave, though. I guess that's so. true. That's the life lesson you should take away from this listener. It's better to be a bale of hay than a slave. In the fall, the captain of the planter... Mr. Peanut, right? No. It's actually uh, oh. Charles Relier. Oh. He took notice of how skilled Smalls was at working on a boat and promoted him to wheel man. Fucking stupid hick. Boats don't have wheels. <laughs> It's like the McDonald's toys that you pulled back and let go. Those boats have wheels. Those real ones. Ooh, and they actually moved. Yeah. Yeah, you get them on that. Hell yeah. Forgot <laughs> all about those. Now, technically, Robert was the pilot of the ship, but for some reason, I don't know why. Uh, racism. Yeah. The Confederates refused to give any black man the title of pilot. Meanwhile, the Union set up a blockade around Charleston Harbor and a Union Commodore, Samuel DuPont, who would later invent uh, house paint, Led a na- large naval force and captured the town of Port Royal, which was right down the road from Beauport. You know, DuPont has their hands in tons of shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Especially uh, murdering wrestlers. No. What's the name of that? Fox? Uh, Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher. Yeah. 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 He was a DuPont? He was. He absolutely was. And he murdered a wrestler that he was gay in love with. He was definitely a part of the actual DuPont family. I'm not so sure about this guy. <laughs> is it Samuel DuPont? There's a space between Du and Pont, so you never know. And that guy's name, it, there's no space. So, I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Who, who can really say? No one. There's Absol- no way to ever find no out. no way. I'd like to introduce our newest sponsor, Ancestry.com. Oh, sh- never mind. Okay, continue. <laughs> now, all of the white folks in Beauport, including old Henry the Nice Racist McKee, freaked out and went full white flight mode and abandoned the town, leaving behind all of their slaves. When word of this made it to Charleston, the whites began to lose their shit because they knew they were next and feared a massive slave rebellion. Union Major General David Hunter only made this fear worse when he took it upon himself to declare all the slaves in Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina as emancipated. He just said, fuck it, I'm doing it. What are you going to do about Mm -hmm. it? Now, you might think that Abe Lincoln would have loved that, but at this point in the war, he was still negotiating, and emancipation wasn't quite on the table yet. Now, Hunter wanted the slaves freed so they would fight for the Union, but Lincoln was still worried that enlisting the help of the blacks would push the still loyal border states to the Confederate side. But Robert Smalls could see that the tides were turning. You know, because he was a sailor. They can all do that, Chris. (laughs) And he saw an opportunity. It was time to make a break for freedom. That is true. Why are you nodding in agreement, wolf dick? Yeah, he's... 
He's not a slave. He's How a, are you even nodding? He's an indentured servant. We discussed this last episode. He's yeah. Like, you have food and a roof, and we're allowing you a small plot of land to share crop. Look at look at him. Yeah. Look at him. Nodding. He has fucking neck muscles. <laughs> Who knew? Son of a bitch. What else can you do? Yeah. What have you been hiding from us? Probably screwing my wife when I'm not at home. Yeah. Like you screwing yours. I know. This guy and his giant penis. You just can't trust him. Here was Robert's plan in a nutshell. Because <laughs> of the planter. I get it. Peanuts and such. Very nice. Every night, the three white officers aboard the planter would leave the boat and go ashore to be either with their wives, their mistresses, or their manstresses. <laughs> <laughs> and the seven slaves who worked aboard the ship were left alone. The three white officers, Captain Charles Rillier, Samuel Smith Hancock, and Samuel Z. Pitcher. Uh, he was the one with the manstress, obviously, because he was, he was a pitcher. He was Z. Pitcher. And every, every pitcher <laughs> needs a catcher? They absolutely do. Okay. So he was a top then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Power top. Not a sub top? No. Like our sub dude? Not our sub dude. All right. Well, they may have trusted the slaves, but it was more likely that they didn't think they had the stones to attempt anything with the boat. They didn't know that Robert Smalls had six-inch fucking brass balls. Absolutely. The ship was owned by a private contractor, John Ferguson, who would have been royally pissed off if he knew the white guys took off at night. And he'll actually play the role of douchebag villain later on in our story. Yes, he will. He's stroking his mustache, like, yes. dick dastardly. <laughs> Once the officers were off the boat, the slaves would sneak their families aboard the ship and hide them below deck. Robert would disguise himself as the captain and sail the boat out of Charleston Harbor and directly at the Union Naval Blockade, where he would surrender the ship and all the slaves on board to the Union. This trip was only about 10 miles, but in between Charleston and Freedom were several Confederate fortifications as well as gun batteries. The boat itself would be valuable to the Union as it was fast, armed, and could travel in less than four feet of water. Robert started working on his plan one day after Relier had left his straw hat on the ship and one of his fellow slaves put it on Robert's head and started making fun of him because he looked like the captain. You look like a white racist! <laughs> Smalls would then tell his wife, Hannah, who wanted to know what would happen if he were caught. Robert plainly said, I shall be shot. Hannah took a moment and said, It is a risk, dear, but you and I and our little ones must be free. I will go, for where you die, I die. Literally, a ride-or-die bitch. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way to think of it. Sometime in April, Robert let his fellow slaves know the plan, and they all agreed to join in. But they decided not to tell their wives and families, because the less people who knew, the better. Women be talking. Am I right? Let me know in the comments, ladies. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Earlier in the day, the crew had picked up some guns from Coal Island, which left Charleston vulnerable from the Stono River. If Smalls could get to the Union that night, he'd be delivering a bunch of cannons and valuable intelligence about Confederate defenses. Right away, the plan hit a speed bump. The water didn't have speed bumps, you stupid hick. <laughs> the first mate, Samuel Hancock, said he wasn't going to go ashore that night. Robert told everyone he didn't give a shit and he would just take care of Hancock himself. Luckily, the dude went ashore because Smalls would later say that Hancock would, quote, either be carried out to sea as a captive or thrown overboard as a corpse. Fucking badass. Two of the deckhands decided that their balls weren't quite as brass as Robert Smalls, so they left the boat. But three other dudes had heard about the plan somehow. Someone told their woman, like you said. Yeah, they weren't supposed to do that. And those three dudes showed up to help. The slaves invited their families aboard, but again, only Hannah Smalls was aware of the plan. Once all the families were on board the ship, Robert explained the plan. Now, the women, they were on board the ship, but they sure as hell weren't on board with the plan. You know, no problem, it's 1862, and feminism wasn't a thing yet, so they just locked all the women in staterooms and threatened to kill the first one who'd made a noise. Who says chivalry is dead? <laughs> this is also when they decided that if they were attacked, they would all hold hands, jump in the water, and drown themselves. Slavery was no longer an option. Once the women had calmed down, the crew quietly moved them to another ship, the Edwan, which was tied up at the North Atlantic Wharf. They couldn't risk them blowing the whole plan with their stupid feminine hysterics. <laughs> <laughs> now, I read the same thing you read. Mm -hmm. uh, I was watching a TED Talk, which I guess was uh, from Robert Small's great-great-grandson. Uh -huh. It was his daughter's great-grandson. Okay. 
he had actually said in his TED talk that they lined the bottom of the boat with dynamite to blow it up in case they were captured. And I mean, it's a little surprising, but not surprising at all. Ah, it's very surprising to me. Where the fuck they get the dynamite from? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's. It I don't is, know. It is a ship armed. It does have some cannons. I don't know where they get the dynamite, but it, it would make sense. I just really feel like the book's probably a little more accurate. Probably. Because it's way more in depth. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting to note. Yeah. And maybe if it does happen, it, it kind of falls in line the, you know, we're going to die free or. Right. But it sounds cooler. It does certainly. sound cool. Yeah. Finally, around 3 a.m. on May 13th, the crew began to heat up the steam engines. Smalls threw on the straw hat that Relier left on the boat. The men untied the moorings and the planter eased away from the wharf. As it did, the whistle was blown to indicate that the boat was just going about a normal day's duties. It's kind of like in a cartoon where, like, you know, the character does something, like, real shady. Uh-huh. They're just walking by. <whistles> like, nothing's happening. Uh-huh. That's kind of what they're doing with this boat. <laughs> <laughs> they quickly made their way uh, to the Etowan and picked up all the women and children and hid them in the lower decks of the planter. By the way, the Edouan sounds like a Star Wars name. Well, it certainly does. Yeah. Or like a Turkish dictator. Oh, it does, yeah. Edouan. Which means Smith. Or John. Yeah, it was John, yeah. because I said it was a first name, like yeah. a fucking moron. I was like, well, that's not his first <laughs> name, but okay. The ship then turned south and left Charleston Harbor forever. They passed Fort Johnson without any sort of incident. Next, they passed Fort Sumter at about 4.15 a.m., Unlike Fort Johnson, Fort Sumter was heavily armed and always surrounded by Confederate ships that frequently stopped contracted ships like the Planter and asked them to go on Starbucks runs and shit, you know, the usual. Yeah, just intern bullshit. Of course. If they were stopped by one of those ships, they'd be found out. And if they refused to stop, the guns at the fort would have blown them all to heaven. Because they're all good guys. True. But no one stopped them. And when Small sounded the boat whistle with two long blows and one short... Same way I pick up dudes in the park. It would be. (laughs) But when they did that, the sentinels at the fort recognized it as the Confederate signal required to pass through. One sentry shouted, Blow the damn Yankees to hell or bring one of them in. Blow the damn Yankees to hell! I'm not going to do your fucking (laughs) bullshit John Wilkes Booth fucking voice. (laughs) But yeah, he probably sounded more like that. Smalls just nodded and said, aye, aye, in his best white steamboat captain voice. Yeah, see, he should have been hosting the podcast with those voice skills. <laughs> At that very moment, the real Captain Charles Relier returned to the dock and found his boat missing. He knew what had happened, and if he'd said anything right then and there, word could have reached Fort Sumner, presumably by cell phone. Yeah. And they could have opened fire on and destroyed the planter. Hold on, hold on. It's 1862. They don't have cell phones. They'd use pagers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm so fucking stupid. (laughs) Well, but instead, he stood there with his dick in his hand and tried to figure out how he was going to blame the loss of the boat on someone else. Having made it past the fort undetected, Smalls ordered more steam and steered straight at the Union fleet. Smalls raised the white flag as he approached a Union ironclad, the Onward. The what? Um, Oh, Onward. I, okay, oh. I, I get it. Never mind. Go ahead. Uh, I see where you're going. <laughs> a fog had settled in the bay, and the captain of the Onward was just about to open fire when he noticed the white flag flying. Robert Smalls smiled as he met the captain and surrendered the boats and the guns. He and his family were free. And now? The end. Yeah, that's the end. It's not the end, because his story gets even crazier from here. It does. Uh, but I do need to free some urine from my bladder, and free some whiskey from the bottle it was cruelly trapped in. And then re-enslave it in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be free again yeah, 30 yeah. minutes later when I, when I pee it out. That's true. So, yeah. It's right. a cyclical, happy story. It is. It just keeps getting better and better for everybody involved. Until I beat my entire family. <laughs> Whatever, they have it coming. Let's take a break, Greg. All right. All right, we're back from break. Uh, Yeah! I had a drink while I was down there, and I have another in front of me, and this is going to be just... You know what, guys? It's going to be some god-awful podcasting from here on out. I'm sorry. Yeah, I had three shots and a drink, so... He, he tried to slow me down, but then we just boat raced, so... it, it It's not good for anybody. No. Welcome back! 
Yes. It's 100 proof history. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned in the intro that I'd been on a flight and I had the 101 wild turkey, but not didn't really mention why I was on the flight. Um, I took a trip. I went to Disney World. You did. Yeah. Um, Sounds awful. It was really fun, you know? All these people kept telling me to, like, make a wish, which I didn't understand because it's my it wasn't my birthday, but uh, <laughs> I did I did make a wish, and you know what? Uh, uh, did it come true? I don't know. I see a bright tunnel. Uh, my relatives are calling me. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do a history podcast instead. Yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> Stupid fucking dead relatives. <laughs> Bunch of assholes. Okay, super, super duper quick recap for you guys. Uh, Robert Smalls, he'd been born a slave. He married a slave. He had two slave children, stole a Confederate-owned boat, and sailed it directly to the Union Navy with his family aboard. And that is where we are in the story right fucking now. Got it. You're caught up. Now, when the news of this uh, daring escape broke in the South, no one believed it could have happened. Now, when one white guard said he saw two white folk on board, all the racist fucks were like, oh, yeah, makes sense that it happened now that I know some smart white people were there to help out. Yeah. Fucking bullshit. The three white officers were initially court-martialed, but the convictions were reversed when their lawyer argued that they were private contractors and couldn't be court-martialed, which makes sense. You're not a part of the army. Mm -hmm. How can you be court-martialed? Still, good news. Well, yeah, he would die at sea when his ship got caught in a storm in 1863. Meanwhile, Smalls, his family, and all the other freed slaves were taken to Hilton Head Island where Smalls met with Samuel DuPont, the Union Commodore who had taken Port Royal the previous year. Am I str- I'm struggling, aren't I? You sound drunk as fuck. I do sound drunk as fuck. Smalls told DuPont what had happened and provided him with the intelligence he had about Coal Island being unguarded. DuPont called him a goddamn American hero and wrote a letter recommending he be awarded a cash prize. The New York Tribune got wind of the story and ran with it, but don't let the fact that they were a northern paper fool you into thinking that they weren't also racist. They were just condescending racists instead of evil racists, saying that Smalls, quote, though black, is a hero. He has added new proof to the evidence that Negroes have skill and courage and tact and that they will risk their lives for the sake of liberty. Yeah, they're humans too, you moron. Not some fucking trained dog that figured out how to lick peanut butter off your fucking genitals. Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's fucking horseshit. So condescending. Still, Smalls and the crew did get the prize that DuPont recommended, with Robert getting $1,500. Now he could afford to buy the freedom of almost two families. Uh, Is that too far? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) that's fucking literally the cost. (laughs) DuPont gave Smalls a job as a civilian pilot and a salary of $40 a month. Big baller! Shortly thereafter, a reverend named Mansfield French came to DuPont and asked if he could take Smalls to New York so that they could speak to crowds and raise money for the freed slaves in Port Royal who were struggling with poverty and disease. DuPont said no because he respected Smalls and didn't want to see him paraded around like one of P.T. Barnum's sideshows. But soon after that, Abraham Lincoln declared that the whole slaves are captured contraband thing was a bunch of malarkey, and any slave who had been freed or had escaped was forever free and would never again be held as slaves. Reverend French then returned with a new plan. He'd take Smalls to Washington, D.C., and in addition to attempting to raise funds for Port Royal, they'd lobby for the Union to allow for black soldiers. In August of 1862, Smalls met with Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, now in our Abraham Lincoln assassination series, we did tell you that it was super easy to meet with a president. But it was probably, and I'm going to say definitely, significantly harder for a slave from South Carolina to meet the president in 1862. True. After that, he then met with Secretary of War Edwin Stanton. Which was actually probably more difficult than meeting with Abraham Lincoln because Stanton was a massive prick to everyone, regardless of race. Yeah, he's a huge dickhead. Well, and Stanton agreed to allow for the creation of black regiments within the Union Army. So he was a reasonable prick, I guess. Eh, I guess so, in some regards. (laughs) Uh, By the way, when he met with Lincoln, Lincoln suggested that all freed slaves be exported to Panama because he believed that each race suffered by being around the other. 
By the time Robert Smalls made it to New York to begin raising funds for Port Royal, however, Lincoln had changed his tone. He'd released the Emancipation Proclamation and would put it into effect on January 1st, 1863, if the South didn't cease their aggression. Hannah Smalls made her way to New York and celebrated with Robert. After his fundraising tour, Robert returned to Beaufort, where Samuel DuPont put him in charge of the ironclad ship, the Keokuk. 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 <laughs> it was time to try and take Charleston. In the year after Smalls' escape, Charleston had been fortified with the addition of floating obstructions and underwater mines. Smalls had initially volunteered to join the army and lead a land force, hoping to rally the enslaved people inside Charleston, but they asked him to pilot the Keokuk instead. I do like Keokuk. In April 1863, the attack on Charleston was launched, and it was a massive, massive clusterfuck. The Weehawken got scared of some mines and turned down a narrow channel, causing a traffic jam. Samuel DuPont's ship got stuck in ebb tide and couldn't proceed without running aground, and when it finally did get going, it immediately collided with two other ships, and he had to drop anchor again. The ships reached Fort Sumter around 4 p.m. and were immediately fired upon by 100 guns. The captain of the Keokuk ordered Smalls to steam ahead of the other ships to get out of the traffic jam, and his ship was hit 90 fucking times. The attack was called off, and Smalls took the ship out of the harbor, but it was heavily damaged and had to be towed. Luckily, the crew had been moved to the tugboat before the ship sank to the bottom of the Charleston Harbor. That was bad enough, but a month later, Robert lost his only son, Robert Jr., to smallpox. An outbreak had spread through Port Royal and Beaufort, and of course, the New York dickhead paper struck again and blamed it on the former slaves, saying, quote, The Negroes, by their filthy habits, are constantly contracting and disseminating the loathsome disease. Bunch of fucking dickheads. Mm-hmm. And now that we're all depressed, Greg will tell us another joke. All right. I like my women like I like my coffee. Gone by 9 a.m. Ah! Got him. Smalls continued to work for the Union and was later assigned to the Army, where he returned to pilot the planter and was paid a sweet $75 a month. That's way better than $1. Yes. He helped out in the second attempt to take Charleston, which was also a gigantic failure. You know, side note here, and possibly a story for another day, this is the battle where the 54th Massachusetts Volunteers, uh, a black regiment led by uh, Colonel Robert Shaw, uh, volunteered to take the fort despite being worn the hell out and wound up losing half of their regiment, including Shaw. He was buried with his black soldiers and his parents, who were staunch abolitionists, said, I could think of no greater honor than having him buried with his mm-hmm. uh, black soldiers. Uh, this was the basis of the movie Glory, and one of the men in Shaw's regiment would actually be the first black man to win the Medal of Honor, but they wouldn't award it until the year 1900. On November 26, 1863, Smalls was piloting the planter when it got caught up in crossfire. The captain of the ship lost his goddamn mind, abandoned his post, and went and hid in the coal bunker. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 I, I, I gotta go take a shit, guys. Uh, mad, mad diary action going on here. Uh, you guys got this? You guys, you guys good? Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Smalls immediately took over and guided the ship to safety. After that, Smalls was officially promoted to captain of the ship and became the first black captain of any army vessel. Uh, in actually, the Confederate papers did spin this. And it's kind of a funny way, but it's also uh, an asshole way saying, like, big fucking deal, he didn't die during this attack. I do that every fucking day. Where's my captain's hat? <laughs> True. <laughs> this promotion bumped him from $75 to $150 a month, which was great because Hannah had just given birth to their third child, Sarah Voorhees Smalls. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> and because in January of 1864, Robert bought the former home of Henry McKee, the very same one where he and his mother had worked in as house slaves. He got it for the tidy sum of $665. That's right. You can buy an entire plantation. Which, I guess it's good. You can buy an entire plantation for the less than the cost of a family in $1862. When it wasn't even a family. It was two people for yeah. $800. Yeah, not even your own freedom. Right. The house had been seized from a man named Detreville, who had bought it from McKee, and then fled when Port Royal was captured by the Union. Detreville would later try and sue Robert for the house, 
and the case would go all the way to the Supreme Court before the justices denied de Treville's claim and told him to go fuck himself for being a traitor. In May of 1864, the planter was in need of some repairs, and as such, was taken to Philadelphia. Robert went with the ship and stayed for a few months. During this time, he met a fellow freed slave named Cato who taught him how to read and write. He gave a speech at a black church in which he said, quote, I am not a speaker, but always feel happy if I can say anything to strengthen the hearts of noble men who are battling for freedom. It is for the cause of freedom that I am here before you this evening. Although born a slave, I always felt that I was a man and ought to be free. And I would be free or die. Get it? Yeah, because it's the, the Name book. of the main book. Ah, we got him. While in Philly, the people of Port Royal nominated Smalls to be their delegate for the upcoming Republican presidential conventions, but since he was in dumb old Philadelphia, go Cowboys. Fuck you, Philly. He couldn't accept the nomination, but it still managed to piss off a bunch of Confederate assholes, so that's pretty cool, right? Always. Yeah. Still, not everything was all smiles and sunshine in the North. Following a dinner with his white pilot, Smalls went back to uh, hop on a streetcar in Philadelphia, but was told he could not ride it because he was black. Smalls accepted this, and his pilot was a real bro and hopped off and said he would uh, always follow his captain, but it was still a nice reminder of how slowly things were truly changing in America and how much Philadelphia sucks butts. Fuck yes. In December, he returned to Beaufort and began assisting in moving the men of William Tecumseh Sherman from the devastated Savannah, Georgia, to Beaufort in preparations for another run at Charleston. And Sherman was ready to fuck shit up, saying, quote, Her people were the first to fire on Fort Sumter, had been in a great hurry to precipitate the country into civil war, and therefore on them shall fall the scourge of war in its worst form. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What do you think about Sherman? Like, uh, you think he's kind of a badass, or... Batshit insane, or both? Both. Definitely both. I do think his dedication to total war in the Civil War won that war. Like Really? Yeah, like, he's like, we're gonna the fuck. scorched earth shit? Yeah. We're gonna take what we want and fuck up the rest for everybody who falls behind us. I think it does. It he's did. fucking, like, I think legit crazy, though. I do think he was crazy. I mean, he even said he was crazy. Yeah, I think there was a point in the war where he took a break. Both him and uh, Grant basically got kicked out of their positions. Grant because he was drinking, and Sherman because... I thought Sherman was, like, self-removed. He he did. He was borderline suicidal. Right. Because he was just fucked. He apologized for being crazy. Yeah. He was fucked up in the Grant head. was a big alcoholic. Yeah. But I think Sherman was legit fucking nuts. I do, too. And, and he I, didn't even have that great of a record, <laughs> no. honestly, as far as battles. <laughs> no. And he, actually, you know what? Neither did Grant. Grant actually lost a shitload of soldiers, but he realized his yeah. advantages in the North was, I have manpower and manufacturing fuck it just human wave the shit until we win the war i feel like sherman lost some battles that he should have won probably i don't don't know if i can say that about grant we really do need a civil war series maybe for patreon or whatever but it'd be so much fun just to dissect each and one of these fucking battles and just yeah figure out how they lost them uh but no i i agree sherman was he was probably fucking insane Maybe, you know, bipolar, manic, depressive, or whatever, but, like, when he was on manic, it's just like, let's fucking burn down the entire South, and, you know, I think it worked. I think it's, you know, I think it won the war. He's nuts. But anyway, Sherman wouldn't get to take a destructive shit all over Charleston because the Confederacy got scared of him and abandoned the town altogether. On February 18th, 1865, a black regiment of soldiers landed on the shores of Charleston and reclaimed it for the United States of America, which is kind of fucking awesome. Yeah. And you know what? Fuck it. Not even joking this time. Hmm. I'm proud to be an American. Can't escape this. Where at least I know I'm free. (sighs) Of course. Wolf Dick, if you don't edit that out, no animal crackers. (laughs) On April 14th, Smalls returned to Charleston aboard the planter for a celebration. Peanuts for everybody! (laughs) Man, you love that planter. (laughs) Robert E. Lee had surrendered and the war was over. Like a bitch. Well, he did hold on for a very long time. I don't know if he's a bitch. He's a bitch. He did eventually surrender. So Whatever. Like a bitch. Now he used his ship to ferry civilians and soldiers from Charleston to Fort Sumter so that they could be there when Major Robert Anderson, the man who had surrendered the fort exactly four years ago, could once again raise the American flag. The celebration was short-lived. As you know, dear listener... 
Because just hours later, some small-dicked fuckwad named John Wilkes Booth, or J.W. Bitch as we like to call him, would shoot and kill Abraham Lincoln. The South is a man! Oh, God. (laughs) For most of the next few months, Robert Smalls would be in bed with malaria, and the new president, Andrew Johnson, would be fucking everything up and negating everything that Smalls and Lincoln hoped would happen. Yeah, no, seriously... Andrew Johnson's presidency is its a topic that deserves its own show. Uh, we can go into great detail whereas to why he f- deserved to be fucked in the year with a fire hose. He's just a complete yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, and people all too often get him confused with Andrew Jackson, which also is... Also a piece of shit. Well... Not nearly... I don't know. The times were different. The yeah. times were different. <laughs> they are different. You have to. But Andrew Johnson was a huge piece of shit in his, in his time. Yeah, even in his time, because Lincoln went to all these strides mm-hmm. to uh, emancipate the black people and try and institute Reconstruction, and Andrew Johnson just shit all over that once he Lincoln did. Was I'm glad that's not happening anymore. Yeah. No, everything's great now. Yeah. I'm proud to be an American. In South Carolina, Johnson appointed a man named Benjamin F. Perry. Oh, shit, it's buttfuck Perry. He does exist. (laughs) B.F. Perry was real all along. (laughs) So, yeah, he appointed B.F. Perry, Benjamin F. Perry, as provisional governor of South Carolina. Definitely not best friend Perry accepted this by saying, The African has been, in all ages, a savage or a slave. God created him inferior to the white man in form, color, and intellect, and no legislation or culture can make him his equal. Yeah, I guess that whole Civil War thing, just complete fucking waste of time. Oh, man. It still is. There's, like we said earlier, the people who are states' rights and all that shit, just fucking get over it. You lost. Right. Except that you're a piece of shit and move on. <laughs> Johnson also made it legal for former Confederates to sue for the property they had lost in the war. Fuck, seriously, dude. Yeah. You know? This led to the original owner of the ship, John Ferguson, attempting to sue to win it back. Thankfully, he didn't win, but eventually the government would auction off the ship. In Charleston, Ferguson attempted to win it by way overbidding, but the government figured it was him and told him to fuck off. In September of 1865, Small sailed the planter for the final time. It was taken to Baltimore, where another auction was held. This time, the boat sold for just $7,700, which was half of its appraised value, to a man named Moses Mordecai. Old-timey name as fuck. Yeah, Moses Mordecai. Hmm, nothing suspicious here. Hello, I'm Moses Mordecai. I'd like to buy this ship. Well, Moses Mordecai quickly transferred ownership of the boat to one John Evil Dickhead Ferguson. What? Fuck you, Ferguson. I guess he won in the end. Oh, he got his fucking boat back. But his boat back? I wouldn't say won. No, he still had to free all the black guys he was holding fucking captive for 40 years. Whatever. Yeah. Piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck you, John Ferguson. I'm going to go piss on your grave. Yes. Suck a dick up till you hiccup, John. Oh, nice. Now, despite all the fuckery that would continue in his lifetime, Robert Smalls remained a good man. When the widow of Henry McKee needed a place to stay, Robert welcomed her and her children into his home. A few years later, when Henry's daughter needed financial help, he not only helped her out, he also helped her son gain an appointment as a midshipman at the U.S. Naval Academy. Which, like, for you and me, I know me especially, if I had the chance to fuck over somebody... I'm taking it 100%. Like, look at my big dick now. I don't think that was the case with Robert Smalls. No. I feel like he was genuinely a nice guy. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way. Yeah. Robert became involved in multiple business ventures. He ran a store for Freedmen, helped found the Enterprise Railroad Company of Charleston, and had interest in the Beaufort Railroad Company and the Beaufort Manufacturing and Improving Company. He joined the South Carolina State Militia and rose to the rank of Major General. In 1874, he was elected to Congress and served five terms as a representative of South Carolina. In 1877, he was convicted of taking a bribe for a printing contract based solely on the testimony of the printer who had worked out a deal, but was later pardoned for that crime. He would later become the U.S. Customs Collector for the Port of Beaufort, which was a position that was directly appointed by the President. He held that position until 1912. 
On February 23, 1915, Robert Smalls died in his home in Beaufort at the age of 75 of complications from diabetes. He was an extraordinary man who had an extraordinary life, and everyone should know and remember his name. And now that I've been serious for so, so long, Greg, take us home with a joke. I can do that. Okay. I like my women like I like my coffee, Chris. Uh Uh-huh. Overflowing out of a (laughs) K-cup. Get it? I like it. Boobies. K-cup. I got another one for you. Okay, let's do it. A little more relevant to the show. Okay. I like my women like I like my whiskey. Uh Uh-huh. 18 years old and all mixed up with Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy old man. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Oh, yeah. So before we get to misconceptions and surprises, Chris. Uh Uh-huh. I'm surprised how fucking drunk you are. What happened? I don't know, man. I can usually do pretty well. In these shows, I have lots of uh, bourbon. I am fucked up. I, I'm going to have to do so much editing. You are. Oh, I'm, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know what it is. I, I did take about a week off from bourbon mm-hmm. and just drank like maybe a couple of beers and a fruity drink. And I I do think maybe. I think I, I would have a seizure if that happened. I Yeah. Like a complete, <laughs> you're in Disney World and you're actually seeing the pink elephants from Dumbo just fly uh, around the I'll whole be in fucking. Full detox. <laughs> seizures just fucking. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, I don't know what happened, man, but I, I, yeah, I got drunk this episode. You guys, you guys don't even know how much editing Greg had to do this episode just because I couldn't say the word railroad without putting an F in the fucking middle of the word. If this actually does see the light of day, it means I didn't quit the podcast. <laughs> he didn't murder me. I'm on the verge get of arrested. Doing, yeah. Throwing him out the window of the second floor studio. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into misconceptions slash surprises which is known I'd rather get into some mr conceptions you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i do buddy uh, oh yeah i don't know anyway what's it known as it is america's favorite segment oh misconceptions slash surprising things you learned mm-hmm. take it away greg okay uh you know as we preface this episode with uh we didn't know anything about robert small's uh Chris saw something from a meme, and then Chris told me about it, and then we actually did some rudimentary research. And, you know, we learned that this slave had captured a Confederate ship and taken it over to the Union side. And it's like, man, that's a badass fucking story. Like, we could definitely do something on that. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. The more you get into the story, there's so much fucking cool shit that happens after that. Yeah. Like, this dude starts working for the Union, gets the first regiment of black soldiers Enacted within the union. Yeah, in Port Royal. Yeah, yep. yeah. He buys back the the big house, so to speak, that him and his mom grew up in, and takes in his owner's wife. Yeah, so baller. Well, and it speaks to what you were saying. He's just a nice fucking guy. He is a really nice guy because I would take him take in the wife, uh huh, and immediately tries to start fucking her. Just. Just power dick move. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I'd kick her out. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out, you yeah. slave-owning bitch. <laughs> but, and not only that, he then was a five-term congressman. Yeah. In the U.S. fucking Congress. Yeah, and got fucked over by some racist fucks at the end. So it was so fucking cool to learn that, you know, not only did he have this amazing initial feat, but he went on to do so much more. Yeah. So that was my misconception. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think our misconceptions slash surprising things are about the same. Yeah, I did learn. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Just gonna, I'm just going to piggyback, huh? Yes, sir. All right. Absolutely. The no, dangers are going first. <laughs> I, that's why I have you do it every fucking time. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, like you said, I knew nothing about this guy. And it's fucking crazy. You hear the names, Abe Lincoln, you hear the name, uh, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman, Tubman, Harriet Tubman, um, but you don't hear the name Robert Smalls. Yeah, and this guy was so badass, you know, using the confusion of war to escape to freedom. You know, yeah, all, all I need is a few toots and a straw hat, and I'm free. But at the same time, he doesn't end there. He decides, okay, now I'm free. I can lead other slaves to freedom. 
to battle to win this war for the Union. And that's just, I feel like me personally being a shitty human being, mm-hmm. once I got that freedom, like, all right, fuck you guys. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, got, I got my freedom. Me and my family are going to go live a nice little quiet life. You'll never hear me again. But this guy went one step further or two steps further. And he was not only a spokesman for the black man once he got up to Washington and New York and, you know, creating these regiments of freedom fighters. He was also a congressman, which is just fucking crazy to me that a, mm-hmm. a, a free slave could be a congressman for five fucking terms in South Carolina at this point in time in history. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so I feel like our misconceptions are the same because our misconceptions and surprising things are the exact same as everyone who's listening to this podcast. They never fucking heard of this guy. Right, yeah. It's all new information. So, you know, let's go forward with there and then find out all the amazing shit this guy did in his lifetime. Uh, There's one small note I wanted to add. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked about how he delivered the planter, which was itself a a valuable ship because, as you said— it can sail in only four foot of water. Yeah. Which was important in this harbor because especially the Union tried to blockade it by actually sailing ships out to the harbor filled with rocks. Yeah. Sinking them, and but it only created like more channels. And we talked about DuPont ship getting, you know, caught in ebb tide and stuck on a sandbar waiting for, mm-hmm. you know, the tide to come back so you can go in further into the port. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a valuable ship mm-hmm. that they're delivering. But it also had guns on it, which were extremely valuable. Uh, One thing that wasn't mentioned was that the captain's code book uh, that was on board this ship, it actually contained like Confederate signals and a map of all the mines and torpedoes that had been laid in Charleston's Harbor. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was actually the biggest find of them all. And I feel like- You must have saw that on a YouTube video that you disagreed with vehemently. No, it actually wasn't. It was either uh, from our main source, Live Free or Die, mm-hmm. uh, or something that I saw on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Okay. I only started the, the YouTube videos, which was my only research, according yeah. to Chris. I only uh-huh. started those this morning while I was uh, showering up, you know, giving myself a nice shave. Oh, yeah. Like an old, old-timey old barber. Getting the those. Little, <laughs> with the badger little brush. brush. Yeah. yeah. I, I do use one of those. Fuck you. For your pubes only. Mm, no. <laughs> straight razor, straight razor for your pubes. That's the most dangerous way to shave. Oh no! I well, it was before laser was around. I actually just kerosene fired everything off. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, gets rid of the crabs. At too. this point, I just have kind of scar tissue. <laughs> he won't grow hair for genitals. <laughs> but it made it more girthy. So uh, that's fine. Know, compl- I can't feel anything. It makes it look bigger, at least. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it looks like a mutant, but I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Well, now that we've talked about your horribly disfigured pubic region, why don't you tell people where they can find us on uh, social media and such? Okay, I'll do that. Why don't you fucking have another piece of shit? I will. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us at 100 history, pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100ProofHistory at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you're searching for podcast, uh, you're probably better off doing hundred proof history spelled out. But you can probably find us the same way one zero zero proof history. Uh, otherwise, go to our anchor site anchor.fm/slash one zero zero proof history, where you can leave us voicemails. We do respond to these. We have sent a couple members uh, some hundred proof history swag and uh, review us where you can. We appreciate reading that stuff, knowing where to improve. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to drive Chris to an AA meeting immediately. Oh, fuck you, I'm not going. Immediately. No. This drunk fuck. I'm so sorry. You've made my job so much worse. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, it's Just part, to you, Greg. It's not, part of it. Not you, listener. Yeah, you, fuck you, stupid You don't listener. know how much we fist fought during this episode. And fist fucked. We we had the, the Ned Kelly scratch in the middle of our studio. <laughs> Wolf Dick was referee. Nobody can move off the line. Uh, yeah. Wolf Dick's raging erection pointing yeah. one way. <laughs> that was hither, the- hither and to. Yeah, it was it was a it was a rough rough episode, but uh you know what? I'm proud of the work we've done here. No, you're not. You hate it. I do hate it. But we'll see you next week <laughs> when we're doing a special 
secret Santa stocking stuffer episode, a bunch of short stories just for Christmas, mm-hmm. just to get your... It's going to be half man, half animal. It is. Did you get your Yule log going? Like a centaur. Yeah, so we, we do look forward to doing that for you and forcing Wolf Dick to edit in a whole bunch of Christmas noises that he's going to have to, you know, his hospice nurse is going to have to find this week in the buildup for that episode. So. Can't wait till he dies. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I really do love you. I thank you for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week, our last episode of the 2010s. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I love you. Yeah. I love you so much. He doesn't love you. He doesn't even know you. I want your money. Give Bye. it to me. I got to the sugary bottom. It's like the when you ice krispies and you get that big spoonful of milk and sugar at the bottom. Oh uh, yes, I remember that from twenty years ago. I remember that from fucking yesterday. But okay, <laughs> you don't do that. Oh, you're such an old dude. You eat fucking like plain things that nourish my body. Plain fucking mini wheats, not even frosted. I don't meat. eat cereal. Yeah. Period. Oh, cereal. Milk is for babies. <laughs> it's not for babies. It's for babies and white Russians. <laughs> not the black Russians. Hell no, no. There's no such thing. <laughs> this is the worst podcast. It's not on the podcast. It's, it's just the worst friendship. It will be at the end. <laughs> Next outtake, please, Wolf Dick.